0: Hi, Dave here. This is For the Record, program number 1200, The Marco fascism of Chiang Kai-shek and the Kuomintang, part 7. This is being recorded on August 25th of the year 2021. Uh, before we get into the main body of the program as a whole, uh let's... Uh, let me, I should say, um, uh, remind you of three links. They are at the top of every program description for, for the record and at the top of each Food for Thought post. One link will enable you to subscribe to the comments being made by uh, expert listeners, most of them are brilliant, most of them by our brilliant contributing editor, Tara Frackle. that is spelled capital P, T-E-R-A-F-R-A-C-P-Y-L. And another of the links will enable you to subscribe to the podcast of, for the record, being made by or done by Sister Station WFMU. So if podcasting is the best way for you to consume the program, then WFMU is doing just that. And the third link will enable you to get the 32-gigabyte flash drive with all of my, uh, at this point, almost 42 years' worth of work on the air, plus a mini-library of old anti-fascist books on very easy-to-download PDF files. Uh, the program, uh, the flash drive, I should say, is current as of, uh, for the record, 1156. A new one will be forthcoming quite soon, and I get no money whatsoever from this. Now, uh back to the main topic of the program, the series that I am doing. Uh, I am scared, bleepless. I think that we are going to have a third world war uh, between the u s and China, and even if it doesn't go nuclear uh it will at at, at a minimum crash the global economy and destroy so much uh and, and by can't see how that wouldn't eventually go nuclear. And in any event, I am scared bleepless. I think we are moving in that direction. And I think it is important for us to understand the relevant history that has underlain the confrontation between the U.S. and China, and it is in that context that I am doing this. It is also uh, to supplement the programs dealing with the COVID-19 and what I call the Oswald Institute of Virology, because I think the WIV was set up to take the blame for the pandemic, and I think worse things may be on the way. Now, uh, we are going to be relying, as we have been for most of the material in this series, on a magnificent book, tragically out of print. That book is called The Sung Dynasty, that's spelled capital S-O-O-N-G, uh, authored by Sperling Seagrave and published in hardcover by Harper and Rowe. The book is sadly out of print. I think it would be wonderful if someone would republish that book. At the very least, I want to encourage uh, listeners to this program to take advantage of, uh, you know, the Tropical River or other used book services and get a hold of one of the remaining copies of the Song Dynasty. It is also out in soft cover. I don't know off the top of my head who the publisher is, but it is a magnificent work. And the call that Sterling Seagrave, was alerted by a high-ranking CIA official after the book was published that in Taiwan they were putting together a hit team to come extinguish him. So he and his uh, collaborator and later co-author on many books, Peggy Seagrave, decamped to a sailboat on which they lived for years and they moved from place to place to stay ahead of their pursuers. Ultimately, uh, Sterling Seagrave narrowly escaped a serious attempt on his life in 2011 when they were living in southern France. And, uh, the, uh, his wife, Peggy Seagrave, died of uh, cancer, whether it was a naturally induced cancer or a natural cancer or, uh, assassination by cancer because that is something that intelligence services have perfected the way of doing, we will never know. We do know that they paid some very heavy dues for having published their books, and this book in particular drew the lethal ire of the Kuomintang regime on Taiwan, that is the island nation uh, on the island of Formosa. In this program, I'm going to begin by discussing the actual secret police infrastructure and the political party infrastructure of Chiang sheks fascism. He was a doctrinaire fascist and one of the world's leading exponents of same. And it is amazing to see the government and the extent to which uh, it was literally narco-fascist, even to the extent that in the concentration camps that were maintained by Tai Li, that's capital T-A-I, capital L-I, known as the Himmler of China, he was the head of the M. BIS, the Military Bureau of Investigations and uh, Statistics. There was also the CDIS, the Central Bureau of Investigation and Statistics, uh, maintained by the, the the Chen Brothers. Both Tai Li and the Chen Brothers, and of course, Chiang Kai-shek, were members of the Green Gang, and were proteges of the Green Gang's uh, consummately powerful, and uh, cunning, and very lethal. Weber, that was uh, to Yue Sheng, also known as Big Ear Two, because of his enormous ears. Uh, when Ty Lee would send someone into one of his concentration camps, he generally got them addicted to heroin. Uh, it is uh, a brilliant tactic when you think about it. Certainly, Tylee's concentration camps had all of the various uh, creature comforts, so to speak, of regular concentration camps, you know, barbed wire, uh, guard towers, machine guns, and all. But in order to keep the uh, inmates in line, they addicted them to heroin, which is a really a crafty way to do it, uh, the, the best way for them to get their fix is to stay in prison, and it also helps to uh, deaden their misery. Uh, one could perhaps consider the tactic of deliberately distributing narcotics, including heroin and morphine in various areas, as has been done, for example, in uh, black ghettos in the United States, as perhaps uh, an extension of that concept. You were basically uh, imprisoning them with narcotics. Uh, Tyree, in his concentration camps, would literally uh, addict, uh, get the inmates addicted to heroin. Now, again, we closed our last program discussing this. I'm going to overlap... This program with that because uh, our, our history uh, is badly malformed and uh, due to the influence not only of the Song family and a tremendous m- amount of money, the China lobby, and Henry Luce, the publishing giant, in particular, we have not been presented with a realistic picture of Chiang Kai-shek and his regime. It was again a doctrinaire fascist government. The regime was inexplicably linked with the Green Gang, and with the drug trade. In this first section, we are going to talk about the CBIS, the Central Bureau of Investigation and Statistics. That was uh, Chang's uh, secret service to maintain uh, scrutiny of and purges of the Kuomintang Party, and also the MBIS, the Military Bureau of Investigation and Statistics. That was run by Tai Li. Uh, both the Chen brothers who ran the CBIS and Tai Li who ran the NBIS were members of the Green Gang. And overlapping both the NBIS and the CBIS were the Blue Shirts. That was Chiang Kai-shek's uh, fascist cadre that worked, again, with both the CBIS and the NBIS, and was patterned after not only the uh, black shirts of Mussolini and the brown shirts of Nazi Germany, but uh, also in particular of the Black Dragon Society, the most lethal and powerful of the Japanese patriotic and uh, nationalist societies that we have spoken about in the past. Note that one of the uh, collaborators and Uh, Chiang Kai-shek's Kuomintang collaborated extensively with the Japanese, was a fellow named Kadama Yoshio. He was Japan's top gangster, also was given the rank of admiral in the Navy, and uh, worked very closely not only with the Japanese imperial superstructure, including actually members of the royal family themselves, but also worked very closely with the Green Gang, Chiang Kai-shek, and others. And he was a protege of Toyama Mitsuru, the head of the Black Dragon Society. So we are once again going to pick up the structure of the MBIS, the CBIS, and the overlapping Blue Shirts. Once again, turning to this magnificent, heroic book, and please, uh, I get no money from this, um, please uh, obtain the book for yourselves. It is sadly out of print, but there are still copies around, and I, I emphatically encourage uh, listeners to the program to get a hold of this book. When you think of what Strolling Seagrave and Peggy Seagrave, who greatly assisted him on the uh, work here, what they endured, they... Uh, had to flee on, uh, aboard a sailboat, live on a sailboat, to escape the Taiwanese slash Kuomintang assassins sent to dispatch them. Unfortunately, I, a CIA official notified them and uh, told them, quote, I would take this very seriously if I were you. So they paid some very heavy dues to write the book. It is magnificent. It is very important. Please get a hold of that. And again, <laughs> I get no money from this. Now of Chiang Kai-shek and his fascist secret police superstructure or infrastructure. Struggling Seagrave writes, like Mussolini, Chiang was determined to scrub his nation clean, teach the peasants not to spit, and make the trains run on time. Like Hitler, he was determined to get rid of all social and political perverts and discipline the citizens, even if it took a few severe beatings. Chang believed that fascism stood on three legs, nationalism, absolute faith in the maximum liber, and a Spartan militarization of the citizens. The New Life Movement, championed by Madame Chiang Kai-shek, was the popular manifestation of Chang's fascism, a toy for his wife and the missionaries, and it was common enough not to be taken seriously by foreigners in general. The missionaries ignoring the warnings expressed by their own periodicals at the time of Chiang's baptism, were now eagerly climbing aboard the New Life bandwagon. Forgotten were the days when Chang's regime had been perceived as an adversary of missionary endeavor. Chang's fascination with Hitler resulted in the creation of a new, secret society modeled on Hitler's brown shirts and Mussolini's black shirts. Chang called his the Blue Shirts, though he denied their existence repeatedly. They were in turn an offshoot of his two secret services, the Party Gestapo under the Chen Brothers, parenthetically the CBIS, and the Military Secret Police under Tai Li, again parenthetically the MBIS. Cheng came to depend heavily on the two nephews of his Green Gang mentor, the assassinated revolutionary hero, Chen. Shai Mei. The older nephew, Chen Fu, who had organized and headed the drive that recruited 7,000 Green Gang youths for the Wampo Military Academy, had since then been given the responsibility of setting up a Gestapo organization within the Kuomintang. As head of the Kuomintang's organization department, his job was to purify the party and the Nanking government continually. To guarantee the loyalty of each Party member Chen Kuo Fu built a spy network that touched every government agency. To run this new apparatus, he selected his younger brother, Shen Li Fu. Both the Chen brothers were blood brothers of Chiang Kai-shek, having taken part in a green gang ceremony after the death of their uncle. Of the two, elder brother Kuo Fu was considered the more intelligent, cunning, and diversified. He wrote plays and songs for his own amusement. He paid Li Fu's way to America, where younger brother studied mining at the University of Pittsburgh. But Li Fu abandoned mining in 1928 to become the director of Chang's Secret Service, the Central Bureau of Investigation and Statistics, or CBIS, the euphemism that was chosen for the Kuomintang's political secret police. While the CBIS spied, conducted purges, and political executions within the Kuomintang party itself, large scale public terrorism was the province of its military counterpart, the Military Bureau of Investigation and Statistics, or MBIS, run by China's Hitler, Tai Li. For twenty years the most dreaded man in China. Here was yet another of the General Lee Sino's Czech gang comrades. Born in 1895, Ty Li had spent his youth as a Green Gang aide to Big Ear Two and was educated at Tu's personal expense. In 1926, he was one of the Green Gang recruits enrolled at Wampo Academy. During the Northern Expedition, he was the principal contact between Chiang Kai-shek and the small-town Hooblands of the Green Gang. As the army approached each district on its way north, CCP cabres went ahead to rouse the peasants to attack the local warlord garrison, and Tai Li went ahead to alert the Green Gang death squads to attack the CCP cabres from behind. With the establishment of the Nanking regime, Tai Li was given responsibility for counter-espionage against Japanese agents in China and for orchestrating the white terror against communist cells. All clandestine operations in China, except those conducted by the Chins, were his responsibility during the 1930s. He was a deceptively mild-looking man with a high, rounded brow and a pleasant smile, but he was regarded by connoisseurs as extremely treacherous. Tai Li commanded more than 100,000 government agents, and possibly twice, and possibly twice that number were at his disposal from green gang ranks. Both of these secret police organizations were supplemented by Chang's blue shirts. Although it was a replica of the European fascist cults, the blue shirts also emulated Japan's dreaded black dragon society, the most militant secret cult of the imperial army. The Blue Shirt's job was to reform China the hard way by knocking heads together, carrying out political assassinations, liquidating corrupt bureaucrats, and quote, enemies of the state, unquote. Its members numbered around 10,000. They were officered by old Green Gang classmates from the Wampo Military Academy. Uh, Parenthetically, we noted uh, a couple of shows ago, uh, actually in two successive shows, that the Wampo Military Academy was staffed uh, largely. The cadets were almost entirely uh, from the Green Gang. So you have this... Uh, Remarkable situation where the officer corps of the Kuomintang army were also key operatives of the Green Gang, which was a drug smuggling criminal syndicate that had its tentacles into all other aspects of Chinese life and uh, collaborated extensively with the Japanese and also was responsible for most of the dope traffic into the United States and much of the rest of the world as well. Returning to the Seagrave the uh, Sterling Seagree's text. All of the powerful cliques in the Nanking regime were represented in the Blue Shirts membership. Included were members of the CC clique, headed by the Chen Brothers, and named after the initials of the Central Club at Nanking, and the so-called Wampo clique, headed by Defense Minister Ho Ho Ying-chin. Finally, among the Blue Shirts, were professional killers who owed loyalty not to the party or the army, but to Tai Li and Big Eared too. Chu to Yu Sheng, head of the Green Gang. Chang made them all take part in a ceremony of blood brotherhood, pricking hands, and mingling chromosomes. The whole country was to be militarized, unquote, wrote Brian Crozier. For many years, China correspondent of The Economist. From the, uh, being, the whole country was to be militarized, by Brian Crozier, C-R-O-Z-I-E-R. For many years, China correspondent of The Economist, quote, from the kindergarten to the grave. Their aim was unabashedly propelitarian, and although Chiang Kai-shek continued to the end with apparent sincerity to protest his devotion to democracy, there can be no doubt that he identified himself with the blue shirts, whose members included many of his Wampo Academy cadets. The New Life Movement, of which Sung Mei Ling, a.k.a. Madame Chiang Kai-shek, was so proud, and to which her husband had agreed so readily, was merely a public extension of the Blue Shirts, a way of involving the Boy Scouts, the YMCA, and the foreign missionary societies in Chang's drive to discipline China. By 1936, the Blue Shirts were running amok, driven by excesses of zeal and brutality, giving the New Life Movement a bad name. The, the Literary Digest observed that year, quote, most likely to upset the teacups were Chang's own civilian, anti-foreign, bombing, stabbing, shooting blue-shirt terrorists who, once useful, now unmanageable, had become something of a Frankenstein monster, unquote. When the Chen Brothers' secret political police, the CBIS, tortured and strangled General Peng Yan Ta. Ching Ling was not the only one shocked. Uh, parenthetically, Qing Ling Sung was another member of the Sung family. She married Dr. Sun Yat-sen, the leader of the Chinese Revolution of 1911 that overthrew the Qing or Manchu dynasty. Then the Kuomintang had two sections, uh, two main branches for some time, one of which was left and associated not only with communism but with Moscow, and the other was right-wing and ultimately uh, answerable not only to Chiang Kai-shek but primarily to the Green Gang, and it turned on and massacred many of the uh, leftist members of the Kuomintang. There followed then a civil war that lasted from the late 1920s all the way through 1949 and overlapped not only the Sino-Japanese War of 1931 through 1941, but also World War II itself. Uh, Madame Sun Yat-sen, or Ching-Ling Sung, was not a communist and uh, refused membership in the communist party. Uh, She, however, as she put it, I distrust all politicians. I mistrust, or distrust, I've forgotten which it was, uh, Mao Zedong less than the others. Eventually uh, near uh, the time of her death in 1981, she was named as a high official uh, in the Chinese Communist uh, hierarchy. However, she resisted becoming a Communist as did many other uh, left of center politicians within uh, the uh, Chinese political spectrum. The Chinese Communist Party itself uh, is more nuanced uh, than we have been led to believe and particularly at this point in time. It has had It was uh, extremist times, certainly, God knows, under uh, Mao Zedong and later even more so uh, under uh, Mao Zedong's uh, wife slash widow and the Gang of Four when they launched the uh, uh, Cultural Revolution of the 1960s. Uh, That, however, is relatively well known. What isn't as well known is ultimately uh, the Chinese not only recanted that but uh, put um, Mao's widow and the Gang of Four in prison. Perhaps if we'd done that with some of our uh, former first family members, we wouldn't be in the position we are in now. In any event, though, Ching song was Madame Sun Yat-sen. Another point, as long as I am pausing here, when one hears the phrase Chinese Revolution, they're not really talking about the communist Chinese Revolution, there was a branch of the Kuomintang that was left and associated with Moscow and had communists within it. Uh, and there was also a right-wing slash fascist branch, which became dominant with Chiang Kai-shek and the Green Gang. And they turned militarily and violently on the leftist slash uh, communist branch or a uh, communist leaning, in many cases, branch of the Kuomintang. Uh, we're going to talk about that schism between the communists and the, the uh, Kuomintang during the actual fighting and uh, how that led ultimately to the ascent of the communist party. And it was a bone of contention, by the way. Uh, even Kiwi uh, Sung himself uh, was a fierce critic of Chiang Kai-shek and predicted correctly that uh, ultimately, if Chiang Kai-shek didn't fight the Japanese and continued to husband his military resources uh, to use against the communists, this would drive the Chinese people into the, uh, into the arms of the communists, and that is exactly what happened. That, however, we will pick up later in this and probably our next program as well returning now to the depredations of Shang's secret police, the CBIS, the NBIS, and the overlapping blue shirts, One of Chiang kai oldest and staunchest supporters now had enough. He was the former head of Peking University, Tsai Wan-pei, who had been the right-wing leader of the Restoration League. Until now, he had faithfully served Shang and his Green Gang godfathers and had read the certificate of marriage at the wedding of Chiang Kai-shek and Mei Ling-sung. By the way, Mei Ling-sung, along with her older sister, A Ling-sung, were sisters of Xing Ling-sung, aka Madam Sun Yat-sen. Again, it's a remarkable family and has had so much to do with, uh, modern Chinese history. Continuing with the account of Tsai Wanpei. Tsai had been rewarded with the job of president of the Controlled Yuan, Y-U-A-N, one of the five branches of the Nanking government. He had also been Minister of Education in charge of reorganizing the nation's university system. But as he watched the new regime in action, Tsai began to suspect that he had helped midwife a monster. Everywhere, he saw human rights being violated. Unlike many other writers, Tsai was an accomplished scholar and a humanist. It was impossible for him to wear blinders indefinitely. After lengthy soul searching, he resigned his principal government posts and established the Academia Sinica, the highest institution of advanced study and research in China. That last sentence again. After lengthy soul searching, he resigned his principal government posts and established the Academia Sinica, the highest Institution of, of, of Advanced Study and Research in China. Tsai so openly sided with Qing Ling against Chiang Kai-shek, joining her in founding the China League for Civil Rights. The primary purpose of the League was to fight Chiang's insidious campaign to portray all his opponents as communists. By so doing, Chiang was able to arrest, imprison, torture, purge, or execute anyone he wished and with the apparent blessing of all quote, reasonable and decent people unquote, thanks to the prevailing paranoia about Reds. One of the League's first efforts was to free from prison the former head of the Chinese Communist Party Chen tu Xu, a harmless and now rather pathetic figure who had once been dean of the Peking University College of Letters. All their efforts failed. When the League was less than a year old, one of Tsai Wan Pei's closest associates at the Academy of Seneca, the politically active Cornell-trained engineer Yang Xuan was murdered by the Blue Shirts. He had been dangerously outspoken. Well acquainted with everyone from Chiang Kai-shek to Big Ear Two, he knew the inner workings of the Nanking regime. In 1933, he apparently discovered the secret reason why Chiang and Defense Minister Ho were not protesting the Japanese invasion of Manchuria, the invasion of Jeho, and the breaching of the Great Wall. It was enough to get gang murdered immediately. Sai Wan Pei was shocked. He resigned all his remaining government posts and issued a public statement expressing disgust with the regime and rebuke completely from public life. The extreme was soon reached with the horrific end of six of China's foremost writers, all followers of the leading literary figure of the revolution, Lu Xun. Got a couple L-U, couple H-S-U. And again, when you hear the phrase, uh, Chinese revolution or revolutionary, it, uh, in most cases alludes to the 1911 revolution that overthrew the Manchu or Qing dynasty, led by Dr. Sun Yat-sen, and, again, uh, Ching-Ling Sung had eloped with Dr. Sun Yat-sen and became Madame Sun Yat-sen, and then the Kuomintang split into right and left-wing factions, one of which was uh, larger to a considerable extent with Moscow, although Stalin didn't trust it but eventually betrayed it to a large extent, not surprisingly. And the Kuomintang then turned on and uh, decimated the left-wing portion, and that was uh, the beginning of the Chinese Civil War. Skipping down about Liu Shun. Lu Shun had been under, let me read the last uh, couple of last sentence again. The extreme was soon reached with the horrific end of six of China's foremost writers, all followers of the leading literary figure of the revolution, Lu Shun. Skipping down. Lu Xun had been unrestrained in criticism of the Nanking regime, and he was always in hiding in fear of arrest. Although friendly with many of the leading Chinese communists, he was too skeptical to become a communist himself. He and Ching Ling Sung were soulmates and perennial outsiders. It was not a healthy position to take. Feng Kai-shek Finally, had had enough of Qing Ling, Liu Xun, and a circle of writers around him who called themselves the League of Left Writers. He ordered his secret police to arrest those writers. Liu Shun eluded arrest, but six young leaders of the group, including Feng Kung, China's best-known woman writer, were taken into custody and forced to dig a large pit. They were then tied hand and foot, thrown into the pit, and buried. Alive, that said, Chingling, A.K.A. Madame Sun Yat Sen, that said, Chingling Biverly, is our Generalissimo, burying our best young people alive. Evidently, in his Bible studies, he has not yet reached. The Corinthians, we'll call it Chiang Kai-shek, like Chu Yu uh, officially converted to Christianity, which won them, uh, tremendous, uh, PR, uh, points, so to speak, in, uh, the U.S. and the West in general, mostly the U.S., and, um, it absolutely sent, uh, Henry Luce to, uh, doing the boogie. He just, uh, absolutely idolized and, uh, Elevated, practically beatified, not only Chang kai shek but Madam Chang kai shek Nay Mei-Ling-Sung. Now we're going to get, we certainly won't have time to uh, finish this in this program. We'll continue uh, with this in our next program. One of the battle cries of the McCarthyite period and one of the battle cries of the China lobby. Bear in mind that Donald Trump's uh, attorney and political mentor was Roy Cohn, who was the attack dog, the legal attack dog and chief counsel for Senator Joseph McCarthy. One of the battle cries was, who lost China? Well, that, A, made the... Uh, rather Uh, arrogant assumption that China was, quote, ours, unquote, to lose. But the fact of the matter is, as we're going to examine in this and our next program, that what actually drove, literally drove China into the arms of the communists was Chiang Kai-shek and his refusal not only to use his considerable military resources to fight the Japanese, but he used them instead against the Chinese communists, and many of Chiang's generals actually colluded actively with the Japanese, not only in the matter of narcotics, but uh, one of the things I find just stunning as someone who grew up watching the old Victory at Sea series, uh, American lend-lease material was sold uh, by the, many of the Chinese generals to the Japanese, which is just Incredible when I think about the, uh, allied military personnel, U.S. in particular, who, uh, flew the hump, flew over the hump, that was over the Himalayan mountains, or drove the treacherous Burma road. Uh, that was very dangerous and they, they, they took tremendous casualties and a lot of that was then sold by the Kuomintang to the Japanese. It just, you know, just stunning to me. Uh, We'll get to uh, more of that later in the uh, program. But one of the people who warned in no uncertain terms that if Chiang Kai-shek did not fight the Japanese and continued to use his military resources against the Chinese communists, that this would drive China into the arms of the communists, a.k.a. this this is who really lost China, was none other than T.V. Sung himself. He was not only uh, deeply corrupt, uh, again, his sister was Madame Chiang Kai-shek. Another of his sisters married H.H. H. Kuhn, the top fi- uh, finance minister. T.V. also was variously finance minister, uh, foreign minister. He was the wealthiest man in the world, uh, reported to be the largest Stockholder in either DuPont and or General Motors, a tremendously wealthy man, and also a guy who uh, ripped off a lot of land lease material and uh, used it to build his enormous fortune. But even T.V. Sung, uh, idolized by Henry Luce, as we have seen, T.V. Sung was among those who warned in no uncertain terms that if Chiang Kai-shek did not fight the Japanese invaders, this would drive the uh, Chinese people into the arms of the communists, and that is what happened. Returning now to the Song Dynasty, by Sterling Seagrave. By the way, uh, we're going to get into, um, well, well, we'll get into uh, the firing of General uh, Joseph Stilwell, because uh, he too uh, was critical of Chiang, whom he viewed correctly as a complete scoundrel. He wanted Chang to use his military resources to fight the Japanese, and he wouldn't do it and ultimately he was replaced. Uh, General Stillwell's chief surgeon was Gordon Seagrave, uh, Sterling Seagrave's father. Now, uh, returning to the Song dynasty. Shaken by what he had observed of the Japanese assault on China, T.V. Song began to draw some dangerous conclusions. Quote, If China is placed before the alternative of communism and Japanese militarism with its military domination... Then China will choose communism, unquote. This rather daring statement, given during an interview with Carl H. von Vigand in March of 1932, placed TV in direct opposition to Chiang Kai-shek. It was all the more iconoclastic for being made by a rich financier and Chinese finance minister. Von Li began his article by pointing out that TV's wealth made him the Pierpont Morgan of China, unquote. We was sitting in the drawing room of his magnificent villa in the French concession of Shanghai. The villa is surrounded by a 12-foot wall. The two gates are of heavy sheet iron. There isn't even a peephole in them to look through from the outside. Within the grounds, I counted eight gunmen guards. Two of them had riot guns slung over their backs. The pockets of the others bulged. I was quite certain they did not contain apples. Mr. Sung's voice vibrated with feeling and bitterness. He is a man who does not talk much less... One more time. Mr. Sung's voice vibrated with feeling and bitterness. He is a man who does not talk much, least of all, for publication. Quote, And after all, is China not being driven into desperation while the world looks on and does nothing to help us? By the world in this instance, it was obvious that he meant the League of Nations. China has been invaded, invaded in Manchuria and invaded here in Shanghai by a foreign power. That power, a member of the League of Nations, one of the signatories of the Kellogg Pact, renouncing war as an instrument of national policy, and a signatory of the Nine Power Treaty as well. No demands were presented by the Japanese either in Manchuria or here in Shanghai. None of the machinery provided in the League of Nations in the Kellogg Anti-War Pact or in the Nine Power Treaty was relied upon or set in motion prior to hostilities. There was no declaration of war, but war there was in Manchuria under the thin veil of bandit suppression, unquote, in Shanghai in the almost cynical guise of alleged protection of our nationals, unquote. Later, even that dwindled to the Shanghai incident in the language of the invader. For a little time, it was called a, quote, state of emergency, unquote. So now we know some of the names that future wars will be called, said T.V. Song, again quoting. The Shanghai incident, yes, an incident that has cost more than 12,000 in dead or wounded, destroyed values aggregating hundreds of millions of dollars, paralyzed the great commerce of Shanghai for weeks. The League of Nations and the big powers looked on. They even permitted the international settlement in Shanghai to be used as a base of operations. Can you be surprised that China would turn to communism or Sovietism if that were to unite the country rather than submit to foreign military domination? And again, that was T.V. Sung, not exactly a pinko uh, predicting correctly uh, what would happen if uh, the... Uh, well, it, it basically, Chiang Kai-shek continued to fight the uh, communists and uh, instead of fighting the Japanese invaders. Now, what we're going to look at next is one of the most important incidents in the evolution of modern China, something that has basically been covered up uh, and it has even been covered up uh, by the uh, regime in Taiwan for quite some time. And that is what uh, became known as the Sian incident. And by the way, my Chinese pronunciation sucks, basically. It probably is different. It's spelled capital S-I-A-N it might be Shan, I don't know how it is pronounced. But in any event, As the Japanese ravaging of China went on, it became clear to many people, as it had already become uh, clear to T.V. Sung, that the only way that the Chinese were going to successfully repel the Japanese invaders was if the communists and the Kuomintang formed a united front and uh, laid down their hostilities toward one another and combined to fight the Japanese. Uh, a uh, Kuomintang general, uh, f- basically uh, the son of a warlord who was assassinated by the Japanese. This is a fellow we were, who is uh, called uh, the Young Marshal. His name was Chang Shu Liang, that's C-H-A-N-G, less in capital H-S-U-E-H hyphen L-I-A-N-G. He is known as, and we will refer to him as, the Young Marshal. He, uh, after being addicted to uh, heroin, courtesy of the Thai Lee, uh, eventually kicked the habit and came back, and he was... Not only lucid, but he was a clear-eyed patriot, and he felt uh, correctly that the only way that the Chinese were going to beat the Japanese was if the Chinese communists hooked up with the Kuomintang and they combined in a united front to fight the Japanese. And when Chiang Kai-shek not only refused to do that, but announced his intention to uh, launch an extermination campaign against the Chinese on December 12th of, I think it was 1936, yes. Uh, then uh, the young marshal, again, Chang Xu Ling, and a General Yang kidnapped Chiang Kai-shek and forced him to agree to a united front. Chang agreed and even made a good Friday address afterward in which he offered amnesty to the young marshal and General Yang. He wrote that, and uh, uh, the young marshal was interned in the concentration camp. General Yang was as well when he returned from European exile. One of the last things that Chiang Kai-shek did before leaving China and decamping to uh, Formosa-Taiwan was to have General Yang, his son, his daughter, his secretary, and the secretary's wife shot. The Siam Incident or Shan Incident, I don't know how it is pronounced, was again uh, a major incident, a major episode I should say, in the uh, evolution of China and it was an attempt by the Young Marshal and General Yang to force a, force Chiang to accept a united front with the Chinese Communists to fight against the Japanese. Shang agreed to it, then reneged on his agreement, and that was one of the things that ultimately led to the Chinese Communist takeover of China. And Seagrave notes, and by the way, the long march was after Chiang uh, had uh, basically launched his military campaign against the Chinese Communists, and they uh, engaged in the long march to Yan'an. Meanwhile, Mao Zedong's Communist forces reached Yunnan at the end of the long march, and began rallying anti-Japanese nationalists to their side. To many students, the authentic heroism of the Red Army, combined with its blunt stand against Tokyo, was a siren call. On December 9, 1935, 10,000 Peking students demonstrated against Japan. The protest Drew nationwide attention and Madame Sun Yat-sen, aka Ching Ling-sung, emerged from seclusion in Shanghai to support the students by launching a National Salvation League. Apprehensive of Japan, Moscow ordered the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, to stop its anti-Chang propaganda and seek a united front with the Kuomintang. Mao at first resisted but was overruled and reluctantly agreed to approach Chiang through the young marshal, Chang Shui Yang, who was now based with his army on the northwestern frontier. Skipping down. When the young marshal returned to China in 1934, he was transformed. Gone were the narcotics and in their place was a tough new nationalism. He decided that China's salvation lay in persuading Chiang to stand firm against Tokyo. He had long talks with T V Sung in Shanghai about how to engineer this, and T. V., who must have realized that a powerful military lever had fallen into his hands, burned the midnight oil with the Dapper Manchurian general, exploring all possible maneuvers against Chiang short of an outright coup. No quick solution seemed at hand. Early in 1936, the young Marshal quietly instructed his troops on the frontier to stop shooting at red guerrillas. He had reached the conclusion that most of China's communists were driven into the arms of the CCP by the degradation of the country at the hands of Chiang and the foreign powers. Chinese, he decided, should no longer fight Chinese while the nation was being ravished by foreign invaders. That June, he met privately with Zhou lai to see if they could put aside differences and develop a joint strategy. He came away with his conviction reaffirmed that the answer lay in the United Front. He was good to his word. All military action halted. Liaison was set up between their two headquarters and bureaus of the National Salvation League were organized throughout northwestern China. One of this, quote, treachery, unquote, Reached Chiang Kai-shek at Nanking. But Tai spies neglected to plumb the depth of what had transpired. They told the Generalissimo that only the Northwestern Command had become unreliable at the time when his latest, quote, communist annihilation, unquote, was about to begin. Chiang decided to fly to the young Marshal's headquarters at Xi'an and bully him into line. When the General, when the General arrived, the young Marshal told Chang that his anti-red campaign should be scrapped and a united front formed with Mao Zedong. The time had come for a patriotic war, not a civil war. Chang hotly rejected the argument and stormed off to his field headquarters at Luoyang, 200 miles away. When the young Marshal followed him to argue further, he was rebuked angrily. On December 4, 1936, the General Leesonel returned to Siam to announce that he was going ahead with the Annihilation campaign to begin December 12. Skipping down. The young marshal and local strongman General Yang were now in deep jeopardy. If they did nothing, their cause was lost, and they would be sent south and rendered impotent. It was Yang who came up with a solution. He had suggested it weeks earlier, quote, We can hold the emperor hostage, he said, metaphorically in Mandarin, quote, to demand submission of all the feudal princes in the realm, unquote. The general Easternell was in the habit of rising before dawn, leaving his full set of false teeth on the bedside table, and standing for an hour before the window in his nightshirt. The pavilion was protected by 50 bodyguards headed by an officer who was a notorious student killer. At 5.30 in the morning of December 12th, the day the new annihilation campaign against the communists was to begin, Chiang Kai-shek was staring out the back window with his bedroom at the mountain beyond the garden wall. In the darkness, four trucks loaded with 120 armed soldiers mumbled to a halt at the gates. The battalion commander in the lead truck demanded that the gates be opened. The sentries refused. The men in the trucks opened fire, and Chang was then uh, taken prisoner and uh, skipping down. In the West, the capital of Kansu province was seized successfully by rebel supporters, protecting their rear, that is, uh, rebels against the Kuomintang, and in favor of the National Salvation League and the United Front, continuing. The young marshal... Then issued a circular telegram over the signatures of the rebel leaders, listing eight demands reorganizing the mankind government to include all factions, stop the civil war, release all political prisoners, permit free demonstrations of patriotism, allow political gatherings to take place freely, carry out the will of Dr. Sun Yat-sen, and immediately summon a national salvation conference. The general had been completely unstrung by his experiences that morning. He refused to eat or to get out of bed. The young marshal offered to move Chang to a more comfortable residence, but he refused to either stir or speak. On December 14th, when W.H. Donald, now working for Madame Chang, arrived in Xi'an to meditate, to mediate, excuse me, beginning again. On December 14th, when W.H. Donald, now working for Madame Chang, arrived in Xi'an to mediate, Chang agreed to shift to a private home. There, the Australian did not pull punches. The Generalissimo, he said, must realize that the young marshal was not a Benedict Arnold, but a Patrick Henry he must realize that there was a clique in his own Nanking regime that was obsessively pro-Japanese, referring to Defense Minister Ho's army clique. At this very moment, Bommel said, Ho was determined to take advantage of the Sian incident to attack the city with troops, artillery, and bombers. Under the pretext of rescuing the Generalissimo, Ho's followers would cause his death and seize power for themselves and Japan. Already, Donald warned urgently, there were government forces moving on. Xi'an, he was absolutely correct, and by the way, they were led by none other than H.H. H. Kung, who was Chiang Kai-shek's uh, former finance minister, and married to A. Ling-sung, Madam Chiang Kai-shek, and Ching Ling-sung, a.k.a. Madam Sun Yat-sen's oldest sister. Skipping down. At Xi'an, Chiang stubbornly resisted the eight demands, quote, he refused to turn our guns against the enemy, the young marshal explained in the public address to a huge crowd in the Sion Park on December 16th, but reserved them for use against our own people, unquote. Other rebel chiefs, including strongman Yang, were now convinced that the only way to deal with Chiang Kai-shek was to shoot him. But the young marshal restrained them. At communist headquarters 200 miles north, Mao Zedong heard the first news of Chang's kidnapping with great excitement. Since April 12th, 1927, the date of the Shanghai Massacre of Communists, uh, basically that was the massacre of the Chinese Communist Party in Shanghai, beginning again. Since April 12th, 1927, the date of the Shanghai Massacre, Mao told the meeting of 300 comrades in his cave, Chang has owed us a blood debt as high as a mountain. Now is the time to liquidate the blood debt. Chang must be brought to Pao'an for a public trial by the people of the whole country." Unquote. It was agreed that Zhou Enlai would go to Xi'an to represent the CCP. But first, they must await instructions from Moscow. Mao was not yet strong enough to do otherwise. When instructions from Moscow did come the next day, they ruled out anything but compromise. Zhou Enlai was to arrange it. Stalin insisted on the united front. Chiang was to go free, and Mao was overruled. And ultimately, uh, officially, at least, Chiang Kai-shek did agree to a united front, and uh, f- as we'll see, that was betrayed. But he did that, and uh, the young marshal basically very graciously uh accepted responsibility for the whole incident. It, he was alive, by the way, the young marshal, with T.V. Sung, and apparently a lot of money helped to grease the wheels to get Chang shek to agree. Skipping ahead here. The young marshal gallantly accepted all blame for the Xi'an incident, allowing Chang to wash his hands in public and wipe them on him. Inter- interestingly, the young marshal was put up at T.V. Sung's home in Nanking he had done China a, an historic service by bringing about the long-sought United Front, whatever its later failings. In the course of the Xi'an incident, he had become more intimately acquainted with Chiang than anyone else in China outside of the Sungs and bigger II. He had also become unusually close to TV and Mei Ling, a.k.a. Madam Chiang kai shek But Chiang kai shek never forgave him for the humiliation or for wrecking his dream of crushing the communists. This event continued to haunt the nationalists for decades, and they pointed to the Xi'an incident as the beginning of the communist victory. It also must have haunted Shang that this young Manchurian general showed so many qualities of leadership that might displace him in time. So instead of letting him go, Shang placed the young marshal under house arrest and turned over the key Tai We In his Good Friday Message to China that spring of nineteen thirty seven, Shang referred to the Siam incident and said piously, quote, remembering that Christ enjoined us to forgive those who sin against us until seventy times seven and upon their repentance, I felt that they should be allowed to start life anew, unquote. That exemplified uh, Chiang Kai shek's shameless hypocrisy. Continuing. Efforts by his friends, including TV, to gain the young marshal's release failed. The generalissimo kept his kidnapper under modified house arrest and close surveillance for the remainder of his life in the charges of his secret police, who followed the usual procedure of acquainting the captive with heroin. Chang-Shu Liang, we are told, spent those decades studying the history of the Ming Dynasty. Again, the the depth of the narco-fascism, as I have called it, is quite remarkable, and even to the extent that Tai Li would uh, get the inmates in his concentration camps hooked on heroin, which is a great way to help uh, see to it that they wouldn't stage a prison break. Continuing... The young marshal's co-conspirator, General Yang, despite the good Friday amnesty, was imprisoned when he came back from European exile and languished for 11 years in one of Lee's special detention camps near Chongqing. His wife went on a hunger strike in protest and was allowed to starve herself to death. And uh, in our next program, we're going to go into the uh, continued... uh, determination of Chiang Kai-shek to husband his military strength for use against the Chinese communists, and at the very least not to attack the Japanese, often collaborating with them. Many of his generals did the same thing. And our last uh, element here for this program, the Chinese communists were still in no position to challenge Chiang. They were sealed off in southern China by a 500,000-man Kuomintang blockade. But, bottled up as they were in northern China, the Reds were waging a remarkably effective guerrilla war against the Japanese. The Imperial Army tried to force the Communists back with a scorched earth policy that ravaged the countryside and drove more people into Mao's ranks. Along the Kuomintang Japanese front in the south, there was little action— because Chang's armies were under orders to keep a safe distance between them and the Japanese enemy. enemy. Opposing commanders engaged in trade across that no-man's land, bartering American lend-lease materials for Japanese consumer goods. Fortunes were made. The only Kuomintang armies that did fight were those under Stillwell's control in Burma, particularly those under General Sun Li Jin. They fought only occasionally, but when they could be coerced into fighting, as in the Mikima campaign, they did well. Everything Vindiger Joe, a.k.a. Joseph well accomplished, he did over the strenuous objections of Cheyenne Kasek, who was joined by General Chenault, the leader of the Flying Tigers of the American Volunteer Group, in the campaign to vilify and get rid of Stillwell. And uh, we're going to go into the... Uh, steadfast refusal of Chiang Kai-shek to uh, use his military forces against the Chinese communists, and that was really the main thing that quote, lost, unquote, China. We should note, perhaps, in passing, that the uh, although the leadership in the U.S. refused to recognize what Chiang Kai-shek was, many of the combatants on the ground knew that Chiang Kai-shek was a pirate and a fascist and corrupt and hated his guts. One of those was a member of the, of the Flying Tigers who later became a decorated Marine flyer, and that was Gregory Pappy Boyington. Uh, there was a... Uh, Actually, we'll talk about this in our next program. We're almost out of time. But we'll talk about uh, what really lost China, and that was Chiang's refusal to fight the Japanese and use his military against the Chinese. However, that will be in our next program because this concludes for the record. program number 1200, The Narco-Fascism of Chiang Kai-shek and the Kuomintang Part 7. This is being recorded on August 25th of the year 2021. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.